Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, how's it going? Welcome to The Kindness Podcast. In this episode, I sat down with businesswoman, yoga instructor, and women's wellness educator, Sarah Byrne. In the show, Sarah shares her extraordinary life journey from living in Louisiana, the Deep South, to the busy streets of Ghana, and to the even busier streets of Osaka in Japan. We talk about not being kind as a child, food and culture, talk about being a manifesting generator and you'll find out what that actually means in the show we touch on subjects that may be considered to be taboo i think you really need to listen to this one to get an understanding of why that is my name is tim bosworth and this is the kindness podcast Hi, welcome to the Kindness Podcast. Um, today, my guest's life story spans continents from the southeastern uh, state of Louisiana in America, whose largest city, New Orleans, is a real hotbed of culture and music and jazz, then to Ghana, whose lush forests and diverse animal life and miles of sunny beaches really do set the scene, and, and then on to Osaka in Japan whose street food and extroverted locals can make any visit a really magical one. My guest currently is a wellness educator, educating women on their menstrual cycles and how they can really truly be who they need to be. She's a businesswoman, an entrepreneur, a yoga instructor, a podcaster, a mother, a wife, uh, a manifesting generator. And we'll, we'll come on to that a bit later on. Uh, but a good friend of mine, uh, Sarah Byrne, welcome to The Kindest Podcast. Thank you so much. No, you're welcome, Sarah. You're welcome. Um, I've been trying to get you on and chatting for a while. And I did say I did mention that when I launched, I'd love to get you on. And you've been very kind to, um, at short notice, to uh, to come on and, and chat to us. Um, I wanted to talk to you about something that's very close to me and close to my heart, which is food. Um, I think food for me has a direct relationship to culture. Um, I think all cultures. Um, represent themselves through their food. And I wanted to get an idea, particularly with the background that you've had, 
um, living in Louisiana, living in Ghana, or spending some time in Ghana, Osaka in Japan. I want to get an idea of how you've found living in these countries and how you've seen the cultural differences within these, these, um, these places. We could start with, uh, if you don't mind, starting with sort of Louisiana, please. So I guess Louisiana is really interesting because we're very much a, a hotbed of culture. So we've got lots of African in, um, inspiration. We've got Car- uh, Caribbean inspiration. We've got French inspiration, Spanish inspiration. So, you know, something like gumbo you will find in New Orleans, but you'll also find it in... What is gumbo? For those of the people listening who don't know what gumbo is, what is gumbo? It's like a soup with rice. So we would make it with okra, which I believe you call ladyfingers here. Um, We will use different types of meats or seafood, so seafood gumbo or chicken and sausage gumbo. Um, But you will find a very similar um, recipe in West Africa. So it is definitely something that... Is, is cause for quite a lot of conversation. What do you mean? The, the actual food itself? Yeah, people will come to Louisiana for the culture. So in the US, we obviously are a wide, um, large country, and you will find lots of different types of food in different areas. But the majority of people will travel to Louisiana just for the food because it is so popular it's so different from what you'll find mm-hmm. it's really spicy it's most likely fried so it's definitely not very healthy <laughs> sure sure um but yeah and then um you spent some time in ghana is that right i did yeah could you tell us briefly a little bit about that if you don't mind um so i was 15 when i went to ghana um and i left the united states a com- one person a spoiled brat and i came back from ghana a completely different person with a completely different outlook on life Um, we had a French chef (laughs) when I lived there. So a lot of our food was French. Um, but we would eat, you know, they would have this thing called suya, which is just basically like a kebab on the side of the street. I'm sure it gave me (laughs) some stomach upsets, but it was brilliant going to market and just seeing all of the different types of things. When we arrived, there were lots of pineapples that are grown in the Volta region in Ghana, where I was. And it was higher than this seething. And then as the season progressed, it just dwindled and dwindled and dwindled. But there's such vibrancy in Ghana. And there's so many different types of smells and spices and um, just difference. And would you say that those differences have shaped you in any way obviously and you, i touched on earlier on that you, you know, spent some time in osaka in japan um and briefly perhaps touch on, on that time there would you say those differences have made you who you are now have certainly shaped who you are now yes and definitely how, yeah. it's opened my mind if anything you know growing up in a relatively small town i mean i split my time between new orleans and um a really small town in southwest louisiana um most people don't have passports. So being able and giving the opportunities to live abroad in Africa and to live abroad in Japan and to go to university and study abroad in Africa again, just really broaden my horizons. There's not a lot of education on that side of it, or at least in my childhood, there wasn't. So being allowed to meet other people of different faiths and different backgrounds and different ethnicities 
has really opened up my mind. And it's definitely something that I'd like to encourage all parents to do, bring their children abroad to a country that's not as fortunate, perhaps, as the one that they live in. Sure. Because it's such an eye-opening experience for children to see another child of a similar age or maybe younger, just the joy that they can have in life with having so little, which is something very different to what children in in developed countries will have. Yeah, I'd agree. I would agree. People, I think, have a perception of of America um, and different states of America. Now, if you were to say Louisiana to somebody on the street, I'd I'd probably guess they'd say, where's that? Um, What's the cultural piece there? Are there race relations there? What was it like growing up as, um, as a young Sarah in Louisiana? Oh, really? Backward. <laughs> There's not a lot of, in a small town, there isn't a lot of progression, I suppose. It's very conservative um, as a state. New Orleans, perhaps not as conservative. It is slightly more liberal, but you won't necessarily have people who grew up in Louisiana living in New Orleans you'll have like a lot of people will come from the north to go to university in New Orleans and they may stay um but it is definitely very catholic it's very conservative there's a lot of blinkered opinions I would say growing up um I was of a different ethnic background and that wasn't really looked at very kindly growing up can you um, can you elaborate on that at all So I'm half Lebanese, Mm -hmm. um, but my mother had me out of wedlock. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And effectively, she was living in Nigeria when she um, got pregnant with me, came home, had me. And people just didn't take very kindly to that because, again, of the very Southern Catholic upbringing that most people had. If you had children out of marriage, it wasn't wasn't the thing to do. Um, So, yeah, so I always felt like very much of an outsider. What, what age? So very early on? Like five. Okay. And how did that manifest itself to you and to others? I wanted, oh, I wasn't a very kind person. Okay. <laughs> I okay. wasn't very nice. Um, but it made me read a lot. And that for I broadened my horizons with a lot of education and a lot of reading. And then I was able to get out and I just wanted to explore. And so not feeling comfortable or that I fit in in one area allowed me to almost expand into another area and find myself um, and not fit into anybody else's box but mine. So did you feel then that because you were different, you you said that I wasn't very kind, you know, why was that? Protection. Okay. You protect yourself. So if you're not kind, people aren't going to come up to you and start a conversation which will most likely not end in the way that a young child would want it to end. So it's a it's a protection piece. So what were you protecting yourself? From for? not nice people. Oh, why was I protecting Correct, myself? Yeah. Because it wasn't nice to have conversations with people who say, My mummy doesn't want me to play with you. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you do you you create mechanisms to make sure that you feel safe and and contained, I suppose. Sure. And you mentioned reading there and um, the ability to, what's the escape within reading, which I think definitely I would advocate anybody to do. It, does, it definitely allows you to sort of step outside of your existing space. Um, 
You studied at university, I'm assuming, no? Yeah. What did you study? International studies, political science and sociology, but I focused on Africa and the Middle East. Okay. And again, was this from the Lebanese heritage that allowed you to think that I wanted to do that? Yeah, and also because my grandparents lived in Nigeria before I was born. It was the way that my grandfather and I connected. I grew up on stories of Africa. So if you asked me at 15 or 12 or 13, where do you want to end up? It was always Africa. I never had any other idea of being anywhere else in the world for me. And so going to university, seeing that as a degree option, it made absolute sense to do that. And what are most of them, you mentioned the small area of Louisiana that you were from, what is a typical teenager, are they doing? Do they sort of live and die in these particular areas or do they, like you, get a chance to escape? Mm, Yes, most of them, when I graduated from high school, they would either go to work in the oil field if they were guys or they would take over farming because we were a farming community. Um, A few people did go to to university. There was a university nearby. A lot of people would go to trade school. So they would do things like hairdressing or auto stuff, so for cars. Um, But not many, like, I think only three of us went to a university, like the state university, which was in Baton Rouge. And was that um, grant-led or funded, funded, or was that just through academics and getting the degree the grade sorry um louisiana did have a scholarship program so most of us did that um and then grants and loans which is how you do it in the states really sure and then the move over to osaka in japan tell me more about that (laughs) that just kind of happened It, it shouldn't have i never i only applied for it because i'd applied for the peace corps and they wanted to put me in eastern europe (laughs) and again those people listening who don't know what the Peace Corps is. Could you just uh, tell us briefly about that? It's similar to your VSO. So it's a group of people, tended to university graduates really, who will go over to countries who are developing and they will volunteer their time. I think the minimum time is two years. So when I lived in Ghana, I'd actually met Peace Corps volunteers and we created quite a good friendship um, and I stayed in touch with them for years after um, but yeah, so it is, it's a volunteer organization and you can go and you can do things like agriculture or education or women's health or water, um, purification projects, that kind of thing. So I'd apply to go to Africa or, and there were only a few places in the Middle East. Um, and they pretty much categorically said, no, you are going to Eastern Europe. <laughs> That's not my idea of a good time with snow. So a friend of mine was doing the JET program and he was like, yeah, apply. And it was the day it was due. So I applied thinking, no, I'll never get in. And I managed to get an interview and I managed to get placed in Osaka, which was quite a coup because you don't tend to be placed in a big city on your first go, but I was. so. And, f- and for those people listening, uh, it must be, and what age are you at this point, Sarah? 23. So 23, it's not like I'm, I'm going to France or I'm going to, you're going to the other side of the world, which is obviously nowadays is very small, but to say Osaka at that age, it's quite a big deal, I imagine. Yeah, I, I just do things. That's part of the manifesting generator side of me. Like if it feels good, I'll just do it. There's no thought process behind it. Um, so yeah, kind of just did it. <laughs> Didn't think of the repercussions or... Oh, I'm going to a really big city in a town I don't speak the language or a country I don't speak the language. I was just like, yeah, okay, whatevs. And what's Osaka, or what was Osaka like? 
phenomenal. Absolutely. I didn't really like my first year. Um, I had a, it was quite a lot of culture shock. Um, but sometimes you would just walk down the street in an area like Shinshaibashi or Umeda, which are big tourist areas. You'd walk and you'd look up at night and you'd see all of the like Glico man and all of the just lights and and you and I would just go, I can't believe I live here. I live here. This is amazing. Um, yeah, it was phenomenal. What were the highlights and uh, and so the lowlights, if you like? Uh, lowlights, I think, would probably have been I when we first moved. Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans a month after I moved into um, into Japan, so that was probably the the lowest um, highlight. Gosh, I don't know. We traveled to Thailand and things, so that was quite cool. Um, just being able to explore and to understand a culture that, that I had never studied or even was interested in. I think I probably could say good morning and that was it. And and just being able to leave my mark, I think. I was the first jet um, or teacher in Osaka in the city to stay in the high school that I was in for three years. They would typically move us every but we'd move three times a year. And I argued that that wasn't beneficial for my students. They needed to re- build a rapport and understand in a relationship with me. And they were like, yeah, okay. Oh, are you teaching English abroad? Yes. Okay. So that's similar to TEFL, I'm, I'm assuming. So that's sort of... Uh, yeah. So okay. w- with the JET program, you didn't have to have any of that. You had to speak English as a native language and you had to have a university degree. And I taught English as an additional language at my university. So I did have that background, but it wasn't required. So what are you doing on a, on a daily basis? You're, you're teaching your students uh, and that, that won't happen. So can you talk me through a, sort of a daily... Uh... So you'd come in, um, you'd have a set schedule. I planned all of my lessons, which, you know, was pretty standard. We, I did a lot of communication. So conversation classes, which were really good. We'd have a Japanese teacher who also spoke English there with us if she needed to translate things um but it's quite fun to stand in front of a class and sort of mimic a conversation and the kids would then just have a go um yeah it was pretty good that was pretty much it I would just teach conversation do you like like teaching I do yeah Yeah, I I love it I can tell no I I can tell you definitely and I mentioned in in the intro um that you were a manifesting a manifesting generator and, and People listening now are thinking, what the bloody hell is a manifesting generator? Sarah, could you, if you wouldn't mind, tell us briefly, what is a manifesting generator and can we get one or be one? So, yes, you can. Um, It's similar to a natal chart, which is your astrology. So you will be born under a certain sign. I'm a cancer, right? So manifesting generator is one of the um, four or five, five types of human design. And it is just basically... They use your birthday, time of birth, and location of birth. And they just pull up a chart. And there's a projector, there's manifesting generators, there's manifestors, there's generators, and there is reflectors. And there are certain percentages of people in the world. They'll give you numbers and they'll tell you if you're sacral, splenic, whatever. I'm a 1-3 manifesting, sacral manifesting generator. So when I said I chose to do Japan just because it felt good, 
That is me going with my sacral. That is how I make decisions. I respond to things. One, three just means that I, one means I need to really dive into a a subject matter and I will learn everything I can about it and then I can educate on it. Three means I need to make mistakes. Manifesting generator just means that I really jump from thought to thought to thought very quickly. So that's why one minute I'm a yoga teacher, the next minute I'm a life coach, then the next minute I'm doing this and the next minute I'm doing that. So I can't just stay in a career and go for that. I have to have a lot of variety because I'm responding to what my life is. So how do you, when you're coaching your clients, advise on that, those types of personalities, those people perhaps listening, thinking, oh, I'm stuck in a job, I'm not sure what I want to do. Should I, like Sarah, go on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing? How do you advise your clients on, on what they need to do? Well, if we're going by, by human design, if they're not a manifesting generator, then no. So your design will sort of shape how you approach life. So manifesting generators do do things at speed. Reflectors, maybe not so much. Projectors need a lot of rest. So they'll do something, but they need a lot of rest to recuperate from that. Um, I don't know much about the others. I just know manifesting generator. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, there's lots of great websites online that you can use if you want to dive in and, and start to learn a bit more about it. So how does someone I've known for a number of years who steered their career and their sort of their life journey, get onto what seemingly is quite popular now, educating women on, on their journey, particularly within their mental cycle. How do you get onto that? Because of my own journey. Okay. And tell us about your own journey, if you don't mind. Um, so I have a daughter, as you know. And before that, I suffered quite a lot with bad period pains and things like that. And I never really managed to get on with hormonal birth control would make me crazy. (laughs) And so I decided one day that enough was enough and there had to be something else better. Um, And so I just went online and Googled, how can I have a better menstrual cycle? And again, there was that rabbit hole of, I must know everything I can about this subject. And I stumbled across menstrual cycle awareness And that was the end, you know, is menstrual cycle awareness is just a way to embody your menstrual cycle. It is the fifth vital sign. Women are taught to ignore that side of them just by society and and some doctors and GPs and things. Um, But really women should tap into that because it is such a wealth of knowledge for you. But, But how your body is actually... You know, we can have a period, but it not be a healthy period. Or we may have lots of anxiety and that will manifest in painful cycles. Um, But women tend to just ignore it because they've been told to. Well, that's just your lot in life and that's just what you are having to bear. Uh, But it, it doesn't have to be that way. So how do you go about educating women on their journeys in terms of understanding their mental cycles? So you just stop for a minute and then you just close your eyes and start asking yourself a couple of questions like how am I feeling where's my emotions where's my energy levels what day is it 
if you want to go really deep into it, you can start taking your basal body temperature and like tracking that and things. Um, but really the first port of call is to just start checking in with yourself because when you stop taking or when you get yourself out of your head and you bring yourself back into your body, anyone with anxiety or overwhelm or stress will know if you take yourself out of your head and bring yourself back into your body, you are able to pay much more attention and closer attention to what your body is actually trying to tell you. Your body is not trying to be at war with you. It only wants to protect you and be your friend. And it is, it is a remembrance. Women are born knowing what their body is trying to tell them, but they forget along the way. And I just help them to remember by checking in with themselves. So how do I, as a husband and as a father, learn more and get to understand my wife or my, my female colleagues and friends? Conversation. I think that is the biggest part of what I do, is that I want to bring that conversation. I want to create an area or a, that, that, that community so that women know they're not alone. Women know that what they're going through, someone else has gone through, and that in turn will help them to open up to the people that they need to open up to most, like their bosses or their partners or their best friends or their boyfriend, whatever it is. Mm. Um, because I think a lot of times women feel that they're on their own and that it's very singular and that it's just them and they are the ones having to deal with it. No one else has to deal with it, which is really not the case. Um, but just being open to those conversations, asking, how are you feeling today? You know, because a lot of times they just won't tell you. And that's, that's difficult, right? The not telling or the, the having the actual well, both. conversation. Yeah, both. I think a lot of people, I'm, I never had that problem. <laughs> I'm quite open about a lot of things, but I do think that a lot of women will keep it quite private, particularly if they deem it not nice or not normal. If they think that what they're going through is abnormal, they won't talk about it. Um, so yeah, I think if you just went up to your wife and said, so how are you really doing today? She might be a bit taken aback if it's not something you typically talk about, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't talk about it. Start that conversation, mm -hmm. have it. I think it's really important for the men listening, young boys, men, individuals in general, to really, as you say, take a moment and just ask those questions. I think the world we live in now and the transparency I think we, we all have through the content that we consume should allow us to have that conversation. Even with those difficult conversations, those difficult subjects, those perhaps those conversations and subjects that were deemed to be historically years ago, very much taboo. Mm. Um, you know, gosh, to think back to many years ago where Perhaps you can, you can educate me a bit more, so that I'm sure that um, someone having a, their period was deemed to be, you know, um, to be burned at the stake, you know, that kind of, sort of witchery. Dirty. Dirty, indeed. Yes, indeed. Which I think is shocking, really, considering where we are now. Still happens today. Well, hopefully not, not so much. Um, Sarah, it's this time of the show where um, I'd like to ask uh, the first question, really, in terms of the show. And... Um, I'm interested to get uh, your opinion on, on this, considering your, your background and your story so far. Um, what does kindness mean to you? I've been thinking about this. To me, it is just a way of being. I think being raised in the South, 
it is drilled into us. If you don't have anything kind to say, say nothing at all. Um, And whilst I spent quite a lot of my life not kind, I couldn't imagine not being kind now. It's just ingrained. Um, So, yeah, for me, it's a way of living my life. And can you be more specific? You know, what do you mean by living your life? How do you live your life that is is a kind life, if that makes sense? Mm, I try not to judge others. I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. And it's just a feeling, you know, like when you're not being kind, you don't feel, you feel icky, or I do. And I think I don't like that feeling. So I just try to be really kind and considerate, and then I feel really nice. <laughs> so you feel kind by being considerate, understanding others. Um, two things have jumped out at me when, when you were saying that. It goes back to your childhood about not being kind, because I couldn't see you as being unkind. But um, you touched it briefly, but tell me, why were you unkind again? Because I think it was a protection mechanism. If right, I right, didn't that, get yes. close to people, then they couldn't be unkind but they also couldn't hurt me okay so protections are a really interesting one isn't it because we all seemingly have our own sort of shields and guards up um even now i'm sure and and filters you know and that's the world i think of social media isn't it you you have a filter that hides your true self Mm. um and we all like to portray ourselves in a, a different light a filtered light um to protect ourselves perhaps so why is it they think people do that you know obviously you mentioned protection but why can't we be so open which i'm sure you're trying to educate your clients on being more open and being more transparent about who they really are because society tells us we don't need to know that elaborate so we just everything is perfect very very few influencers will show you the behind the scenes or the tears or the upset or the arguments or the face without makeup Um, it's a, it's a persona that you put out. It's not your true self. Again, I guess it comes back to the protection. If they don't know the true me, they can't hurt me. So do you think most people on social media are not being true to themselves? I think they're trying to protect themselves. Social media is very, can be a very unkind, nasty place. So why is it that we all bloody use it then? Because we're addicted. (laughs) Because I think we like the pretty pictures. We like to look at that beautiful influencer who looks like she has it all because that's what we aspire to. It doesn't mean that we will ever have it, but that's what we aspire to. And for some people, it may work to help them better themselves to whatever. Uh, But for others, it's not great because it just is another ideal that they will never accomplish and so they can then feel guilty or beat themselves up about it or so what would you say to your 17 18 year old self who is constantly bombarded by imagery that is deemed to be the ideal and the perfect state what would you say to your sort of teenage self well i'm of a i didn't have that at 17 18 thankfully because i would have been it would have not been nice but i think What's really important to reiterate to children these days is that what we see online may not be true and you can only be who you are. And so focus on that. Be kind, be respectful, 
study, you know. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I, I've got three young children and I watch them on a daily basis wake up, have their breakfast and perhaps have some iPad time and they play various games. That's become part of their norm. And I wonder whether or not to not allow children to be exposed to what is their norm, is that fair on them? And I wonder if you, and I'd like to get your take on it, if you feel that technology plays, and what technology plays a, a part in their lives and your, your children's lives. I think it's a great educational tool. I think you can use it. Um, there are cert- there are a lot of benefits of using iPads and things like that in a, in a school, in a primary school, in a secondary school. I do think that whilst we've been in the pandemic, it has been very difficult and it's parents have been trying to work and homeschool if they're in a lockdown or you can't go see people because they are quarantining, etc. So they've used it as a way to keep the children entertained. And unfortunately, I think that has kind of now carried over to become the norm. Um, I guess it depends on how your child reacts to when you take the iPad, screen, phone, whatever, away. Mm. I think one thing we've noticed with our daughter, who's nearly 10, she loves her screen. And it is quite worrying the amount of times that she will want, that she will choose to go onto it. But I guess as a parent, you just have to monitor and and try to balance it out with some outdoor play. It's difficult here, though, because it's so dark all the time and cold. And It's a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge. challenge. Most parents listening to this will will know those challenges where you've got on the one side, you're knackered and you're tired and having that respite by allowing your child to just go on the iPad will give you that sort of half an hour, an hour or so. Whereas some parents are like zero tolerance. Mm. They don't have the iPad or they have it at the weekend for only 10, 15 minutes or so. I think it's really important um, to have that distinction that it's not a bad thing. No. Um, but it's, as you said, it's, it's creating a balance as well, for sure. Um, Louisiana piece uh, and living up there must have been um, certainly different from finding yourself in um, the north of England in, in Harrogate. And uh, I've known you for a number of years now, and certainly on my phone you were known as Yoga Sarah. Um, and I smile at this because I know a number of years ago there were not many uh, yoga practitioners um, generally. Um, and yet now it's exploded in terms of the wellness piece um, so many people changing careers and um, deciding to, I suppose, look into themselves and, and change themselves. When did yoga become uh, part of your life? As a dare, <laughs> um, when I lived in Osaka. So I, my husband, then boyfriend, was we were having a conversation and he was very much under the... And I definitely led him to believe that I never did any form of exercise. I was allergic to sweating and (laughs) I glistened. And I mean, it was just, it's comical actually. And um, he was like, I bet you can't even do yoga. And so I found an English speaking Ashtanga yoga class and I was like, yes, I can. And I did. And it was actually really great. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I trained as a yoga teacher when I moved here, uh, to make friends really, to, to find a, a group of people that I had something in common with. 
It's a challenge when you move to um, a new country, a new state, a new part of the country, and people join clubs and societies to get that, that sort of community aspect of that. Um, it's a challenge, I think, for both people generally meeting friends, and um, particularly within the circles that we all have. We all have our tight circles, our best friends, etc. How have you found living in, uh, in Harrogate and now outside of the country, living in, living in England? challenging yeah it's probably been one of the most difficult places to make friends um I think I came here quite young I was 26 didn't have a child I think a lot of people do make their friends um because they move when they have children because the education system's so good um my husband wasn't from Harrogate he was from near Manchester so we didn't come with a base of friends already so yeah, it was quite a challenge. Mm. And do you do you think that uh, the challenge is ongoing, or is that something that you've had to you overcome? I'd like to say I've overcome it, but I overcame it when my daughter started primary school, and and when I had my daughter, really, I made some friends then. Um, but having her was instrumental in in the friendship growth. I had a few, but definitely having her accelerated it. And do you think that's mothers as well, um, having that extended network of individuals who are now parents? Yes. I think we we aren't in a, we're not in a community anymore where we've grown up with aunts and uncles and grandmothers and mothers and sisters and cousins. We have to create that family for ourselves if you're someone like me. Not everyone is like that, but there are quite a few people in this area, I think, again, because they move due to the schooling, um, that do have to create their own family. So what do you miss about home then? The food. <laughs> heat. I miss, I miss heat. I even miss mosquitoes. It's just like clearly wrong. Um, I miss the sunshine. I miss the smell of coffee. I miss the smell of my grandmother's cooking. What was your grandmother like? Oh my gosh, she's crazy. She's great. I think you met her. Tell me more. Uh, she is very feisty. She's in her 80s. Um, very, very strong. She's a very strong woman from her background, what she came from to what she is today. She's very strong. She's raised four children, all incredibly different children, myself being one of them. Um, and she's, yeah, she's just amazing. And um, she's still alive? Yeah. So what life lessons do you think she would give you if she passed? It's going to lead on to my next question, which was if you were to die tomorrow, what would you do differently to be the kindest in the room? But knowing your grandmother as you, as you do, what kind of life lessons do you think she would give you? And then second part of the question, if you were to die tomorrow, what uh, would you do differently to be the kindest in the room? Mm. So my grandmother always says if wishes were horses, we'd all take a ride. <laughs> If wishes were horses, we'd all take a ride. Yeah, okay. so that's it. That's what she's left me. No, I think just to persevere, she is quite an amazing, resilient nature. Um, and she definitely gave me that. She, she taught me how to persevere and to be resilient. Uh, I hope I pass on to my child. And yourself, um, you know, God forbid, you know, if uh, you were to die tomorrow, what would you do differently? I don't think I would do anything differently. I work in the emotion well-being area in a primary school here. And 
you know, kindness is one of our key values and respect. And I'd really, really like to think the work I've done will live on, <laughs> that I've taught them something. So what do you think would be your legacy? Laughter. Because <laughs> I laugh all the time. No, my legacy hopefully would be that I was a kind person that did for others, an educator at heart. I ask people the question whether or not they believe or think kindness is, uh, you're born with kindness or whether you're, you learn kindness. What, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, um, I think you are born with it, but you also learn it. I think it's definitely something that you understand. It's an inference that you learn, right? Like you are watching social cues and understanding how people interact with each other. Kindness is a part of that. Um, but I don't think that we are born without kindness. Even if your upbringing wasn't kind? You can choose to be kind. You I agree can, with that. You can learn that, you know, with lots of therapy perhaps, <laughs> that you aren't your upbringing. I'm not my upbringing. It wasn't a traditional upbringing, but I could have ended up barefoot and pregnant on a front porch, but I didn't. I better, I, I went to university, I traveled, I opened my horizons. I, I, I could have been something completely different, but I chose not to be. You say you chose not to be. Was that based on what you were seeing around you? Yes. <laughs> yes. So, so a lot of people, your peers, were barefoot and pregnant. I mean, maybe not the barefoot bit, but they, a lot of them did have boyfriends in the high school and they wanted to get married and they got married and they had children. I mean, my grandmother used to laugh because she ran into um, a friend of hers who knew me from high school and she said, oh, how's Sarah doing? And my grandmother said, oh, she's moved out to Japan. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so sorry. And my grandmother was very confused. And she's like, but she's not married yet. And my grandmother's like, she's 23. <laughs> mm. We've time. <laughs> right, sure. So there's, there's norms then where that you get married, have a baby, and that's, that's your life pretty much. Yeah, very young. And you can have had a career, but it was definitely you start families young back home. And do you, do you still have friends back home that you, uh, you know and speak to? I'm pretty sure I had one friend in high school. Okay. <laughs> I do still speak to her, yes. Sure, sure. Married kids? Yeah. How many? Two children. Two, okay. Yeah. Two. It's not that it's like you have three or four, that's the norm. No. I don't know many people that have three or four, to be fair, back home. Two's, two's norm. Two's the norm. Yeah. So I, I haven't asked this in the show before. And I'm interested to see where this will go. What question would you ask me about kindness? What made you choose the topic? Great question and a very simple answer. Um, my mother turned 70 uh, this year and um, I went to see her and as I have been seeing her recently, I thought, sorry about this mum, I thought you were looking old. Um, and not in terms of the physical side, just, just and not even in the mental side, just you look at your parents differently, I think, as you get older. And um, perhaps as being a parent myself, but you look on your parents and, and wonder, as I did, what their life was like. And it was at that moment I thought, 
you must have had a life that was very much well lived. And what one way could I perhaps um, maintain the memory of this person's life well lived? And my mum's a, a great advocate of writing, writing letters, writing notes, writing thank you letters, etc. Um, however, um, I live in a world of digital media. You know, I'm surrounded by sort of content that is of a digital nature and podcasts being one of those. And I thought, what, what would be a better way of perhaps maintaining and keeping a record of, of one's life through an audio uh, process? And I think podcasts, the beauty of podcasts is that it allows you to do that, so to take someone's words and allow them to transport you to a place. So people listening now will be would have been transported to Louisiana, perhaps to Ghana, Osaka, uh, etc. And I think podcasts do that. Um, but really the kindest is all about how I can get an understanding of who people are, um, what makes them different, what makes them tick, have there been upbringings that haven't been kind, that they've turned around. Um, and is that, is there a cultural pattern? Is there a, a cultural piece? Is there a business piece? Is an individual piece? And, and that's the journey I'm on really. Um, I'm not sure if that answers the question, but, uh, yeah, that's why I, uh, I wanted to, um, set up or at least launch the kindest yeah good well thank you <laughs> well maybe I, I asked that question to the guests or maybe that's just answered the question um, Sarah um final question and again it's one that gives it gives you a little bit of a retrospective uh thought uh to those listening um which is what one piece of advice would you give somebody to live a kinder life don't judge others you never know what someone else is going through. So always give people the benefit of the doubt. If they're not being very kind to you or they're not acting in the way that you feel that they should be acting, you've no idea what they're going through. And I think that's something I would have liked to know as a young child. You don't know what people are going through or why they're being a certain way to you. So, yeah. Yeah, wise words indeed, wise words indeed. And with that being said, uh, Sarah, you, you have been the kindest in the room. Thank you very much for, uh, for coming on at short notice. It's been a pleasure. Um, where can people reach out to you and find out a little bit more about what you're doing? I'm on Instagram at I am Sarah Byrne. I have a website, sarahburnwellness.com. That's pretty much it. Well, I, I urge all of you to go out and, then, and check out Sarah's Instagram, give her a follow. And, um, you know, if you've been thinking about um, your own um, menstrual cycle journey and just been a little bit confused, then please do reach out to Sarah. You know, I've known her for a number of years now. And if there's anyone out there who would give you the advice and the honest advice, I think Sarah certainly would do that. Um, thank you all for listening um, as we uh, roll into the new year. And we are in the new year now, certainly in the middle half of January. Um, take on board uh, our guests and, and hear what they say as I hope you'll be revaluing them for you. So again, you have been listening to me. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks, Sarah. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 